Well, if you do have a Bible with you this evening, please turn with me back to that passage that we read from in the Old Testament, to 2 Chronicles and chapter 33. 2 Chronicles and chapter 33. And my title for this evening's gospel sermon is Great Grace to a Great Sinner. Great grace to a great sinner. And, you know, throughout the pages of Scripture, the Holy Spirit has recorded the testimonies of many, many different individuals. And as you go through the Bible, as you read these testimonies of different people, you'll see that the Holy Spirit works in so many different ways in drawing people to faith in Jesus Christ. You take, for example, just that wonderful occasion in the book of Acts when Paul goes to Philippi. And on the one hand, you have a Lydia, who there she is quietly by the waterside, and the Holy Spirit comes, and we read that the Lord opened her heart. It was a very quiet work that the Lord did to Lydia. And yet on the, in the same place, only a few moments, a few days later, we have the Philippian jailer, and it takes an earthquake to shake that man and for him to be uh, converted and come to the Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, who was the man that was involved in both of those uh, occasions? It was Paul, Saul of Tarsus. And you think what a dramatic uh, occasion that was when Saul was converted on that road to Damascus. Well, here in 2 Chronicles 33, we have recorded for us a a picture of of a young man, a young person, who broke away from the example of his religious parents, a young man who sought to unshackle himself from all the restraints of being brought up in in a godly home, a young man who wanted to do away with his upbringing. And so he plunged himself into uh, some of the vilest sins that you could ever imagine. And And yet, even this man was recovered by the grace of God and brought to repentance and faith. In a sense, we have before us in 2 Chronicles 33 a walking, talking, real-life Old Testament example of the lost son, the prodigal son that we just read about a few moments ago. And so this evening I want us to look at Manasseh's life and I want us to see six things as we go through this man's life. Six things about this man Manasseh and his testimony as he came to faith and trust in the Lord God. And perhaps there's someone here tonight as we go through this. This may be a picture of you. This may be what you are like. And I trust that as we go through, not only will you be perhaps maybe like him in his beginning, but especially that you'll be like him in his end. Because he was a man who, although he committed the vilest of sins and the most terrible abominations in the land of Judah, yet he found grace in God's eyes. And so let's look at this man Manasseh and let's see his wonderful testimony of how the Lord saved him. And I want you to notice firstly about Manasseh this evening that Manasseh was privileged. Manasseh was privileged. You notice there in verse 3 of of 2 Chronicles 33, it says there that he built again the high places which Hezekiah, his father, had broken down. It says that Hezekiah, his father, it reminds us of his past. Hezekiah, 
you remember, was a godly king. He was a king who loved the Lord his God. Now, Hezekiah was not a perfect king. He was not a perfect man. He was still a a sinner, saved by grace, yes. But he was a godly man, a man who loved the Lord. And he would no doubt have taught Manasseh, his eldest son, the things concerning the Lord's. Godly fathers, of course, always want to teach their children the things concerning the Lord's and the ways of salvation and so on. And it would have been no different for, for little Manasseh as he was growing up in this, this godly house. You can imagine, can't you, as he was being rocked as a baby by Hezekiah or by his mother Hepzibah, that they were singing psalms to him, psalms of David. So you could imagine that as he was growing up, he was taught the word of God's. When he went to school in the palace, he learnt the wonderful and glorious history of the nation of Israel. All the wonderful things that had taken place, the crossing of the Red Sea, Joshua conquering the land and so on. He would have learnt it all. And of course we could add to that the the very real and close history to, uh, to Manasseh in the life of his father, King Hezekiah. All the amazing miracles and the victories that God had given to King Hezekiah. You remember how the Assyrians had come. 185,000 in a single night had been destroyed by the angel of the Lord. And these things would have been passed on to him. These things would have been told him. We don't really have an, an equivalent today, do we? We don't really talk about the great victories because we... You know, I guess we don't fight many battles these days in the same way they did then. And... Uh, I was trying to think of an equivalent example. Well, I think the, the equivalent example today is, is in sports. Here we are in the mid, middle of the Euros, and every English fan has to be reminded of 66 and 96, and we have to relive all the goals and all the, you know, the experiences and, and so on. And we, and we get told these things, even if we never saw them. And for Manasseh, it would have been the same. Do you not know what God did in your father's life? Do you not know all the wonderful things that happens? You see, Manasseh was a very privileged person, but we can go even further than that because you see that his privileges didn't stop there. But he was blessed in being born into a royal family. He was born rich. You just go back into chapter 32 and verse 27. Notice what it says there about Hezekiah. Remember, this is towards the end of Hezekiah's life when Manasseh was born. And it says there in verse 27, And Hezekiah had exceeding much riches and honour. He made himself treasuries for silver and for gold and for precious stones and for spices and for shields and for all manner of pleasant jewels. And and you can go on and read. They're all the wonderful things. The way the Lord blessed Hezekiah. Gave him so much. And this is the family that Manasseh is born into. He's born into a royal line. He's born into a wealthy home. So not only has he got this wonderful privilege of being taught the things of God, but he's been blessed with so many material blessings too. Here we have this young man, you know, you notice that he was 12 years old when he began to reign. He's had this godly upbringing. He's had all these wonderful privileges. What a, what a privileged life Manasseh enjoyed as a young person. And this evening I may be speaking to someone who has enjoyed many similar privileges in your life. Perhaps you've grown up in a godly home. Grown up like Manasseh, taught by your parents the things concerning God. You've been taught the truths of the Bible. Perhaps like Timothy, 
You can say from a child that thou hast known the Holy Scriptures. You know, friends, it's a wonderful privilege to know the Bible from, from a young age. Do you realize how privileged you are? Let me ask you, what have you done with those privileges? And what about the great wealth that we enjoy in this country? We may not have grown up in a palace like Manasseh did. We may not you know, live like a king or a queen does today, but we live like kings and queens did a few hundred years ago, don't we? All the wonderful things that we enjoy, the food, the clothes, and so on. We have so much, don't we? But again, what have we done with the things that God has given to us? Have we used them selfishly? Or have we used them to praise the God who's the giver of all good gifts? Well, in the case of Manasseh before us this evening, he despised these things and he sinned. This is our second point this evening. The second thing that we notice from the life of Manasseh. Not only was he privileged, but Manasseh sinned. You just turn back there to verse 2 of our passage. It says that he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord's like unto the abominations of the heathen whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. And from verse 2 all the way down to verse 9, we have this really just one long catalogue of all the sins and all the wickedness of Manasseh. It's literally just one long litany of the heinous and awful things that Manasseh did, not only personally and privately, but in the nation. Just look closely with me at some of these things here that the Holy Spirit records for us. Verse 3 tells us that he built the high places which Hezekiah, his father, had broken down. He had no regard for what his father had done, disregarded everything about his father, just like the prodigal son. Wanted to do away with it all and he builds the high places again, raises up false gods to Balaam there. He made groves and he worshipped all the host of heaven starts to worship the stars and the planets. In verse 4, he goes even further than that. He built altars in the house of the Lord. New altars, clearly. Altars, plural. In the house of God. This is, this is not just a one-off thing. This is not just a mistake that he makes. This is something that he's... This is a lifestyle that he set himself to do. If you jump to verse 7, he, he adds by saying that he carved an image an idol that he made of his own hands, and he takes that to the house of God. Then as if this man, Manasseh, couldn't go any lower, look what verse 6 tells us. He caused his children to pass through the fire in the valley of the son of Hinnom. You know, I was thinking about this this week. Just stop for a moment and just think about that statement. A father making his own children pass through a fire. You remember how Christ spoke, didn't he, that you know, even earthly fathers who are wicked and sinful know how to give good gifts to their children. They know how to be kind. They know how to protect their children. It's a natural thing. And yet this man, such as his wickedness, he takes his own children and he makes them pass through a fire. He forced his children to be offered up either as, as a sacrifice or in some act of worship to a false god by making them go through a fire. And we could go on and we could list all the other things that Manasseh does here. 
how he turns to black and dark occultish practices, wizards, witches, horoscopes, looking at times and the future and so on. And if you were to read the parallel passage in, in 2 Kings chapter 21, verse 16 says that this, it says that he shed innocent blood very much till he had filled Jerusalem from one end to another. This was a, an utterly wicked king. We're told that his wickedness was even above that of the Amorites, which were before him. And when we get to the end of verse 9 here, we're confronted with a man who, despite all his privileges, all his blessings of knowing the word of God, had turned his back on it all. And he'd sinned, and he'd sinned, and he'd sinned over and over again. He had desecrated the temple, he's defied Jehovah, and he'd devoted his life to idolatry and wickedness. Here's a man who has just multiplied sins privately and publicly. A man who has zealously and energetically pursued of life, a life of just utter wickedness. Now this evening we may not be quite as bad or quite as openly wicked as Manasseh was. Yet nonetheless each one of us is like Manasseh because we're sinners. We're sinners in the sight of God. We've defied God. We've in a sense, we've carved out our own idols, haven't we? And worshipped them instead of worshipping God's. You know, in, in a sense, each one of us in our hearts is a little Manasseh. Jeremiah states, doesn't he, that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And the Hebrew there is this sense of being sick with sin. Our hearts are just like diseased. And, and we're all cut from the same cloth and we're all dyed with the same dye. We're all like Manasseh. There's none righteous, no, not one. And Manasseh is a reminder to us here that the grace of God is not inherited. It's not passed down from father to son and son to grandson and so on. It's not, it's not inherited. We can't just assume that because we grew up in a godly home that we are, uh, have grace in the sight of God. You see, while Manasseh enjoyed so many privileges, yet he knew nothing personally of God's grace in his life. So that leads me to ask a question, do you? Or are you still in your sin? Manasseh was a man who was utterly wicked, but he knew nothing of the grace of God. We can go a step further than this because... Not only do we see in Manasseh's testimony that he was privileged and that he sinned, but we also notice that Manasseh was warned. Notice what it says there in verse 10. Verse 10, we're told this, And the Lord spake to Manasseh and to his people. If you jump down to verse 18, it mentions that the ones who spoke to him were the seers or the prophets that spake to him in the name of the Lord God of Israel. The Lord had sent prophets to warn Manasseh. They had come, we read there in verse 18, in the name of the Lord. They had come with the Lord's message. And if you just turn with me back to uh, 2 Kings uh, chapter 21, we have recorded the message that these prophets came and spoke to Manasseh, 2 Kings, chapter 21, and verse 10. 
This is, what they, this is what the prophets were saying to Manasseh. This was the warning that they were giving. It says there in 2 Kings 21 and verse 10, And the Lord spake by his servants the prophets, saying, Because Manasseh, king of Judah, have done these abominations, and have done wickedly above all that the Amorites did which were before him, and have made Judah also to sin with his idols, therefore thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Behold, I am bringing such evil upon Jerusalem and Judah, that whosoever heareth of it, both his ears shall tingle. And I will stretch over Jerusalem the line of Samaria and the plummet of the house of Ahab. And I will wipe Jerusalem as a man wipeth the dish, wiping it and turning it upside down. And I will forsake the remnant of mine inheritance and deliver them into the hand of their enemies. And they shall become a prey and a spoil to all their enemies, because they have done that which was evil in my sight and have provoked me to anger since the day their fathers came forth out of Egypt, even unto this day. And the Lord, you see, he sent this, this message to him, a message of warning, it's a message of judgment. <laughs> look, Manasseh, you have sinned against me, and look what's coming. I'm going to turn Jerusalem upside down like a dish and wipe it clean. You see, he was not going to protect them from their enemies, but he was going to deliver them up for prey and for spoil, he says here. And you see, this message is one that's full of terrible things, and yet at the same time, it's a message that reveals to us the very heart of God. See, friends, this is not a message of sort of like a cruel tyrant king that's, uh, you know, trying to invoke fear upon some sort of cowering uh, subject before him. And this is a message that's filled with love. It's a message that's filled with grace and a message that's filled with mercy to him. This is like a father that's trying to warn his child, you know, that's perhaps playing by the edge of a cliff. Don't go too close. It's a message that when you begin to really squeeze it, it oozes with the loving kindness of God. God was trying to graciously warn Manasseh, if you carry on in your sin, you carry on with your lifestyle, defying me, this is what's going to happen. You know, friends, tonight the Lord is still in the business of sending warnings, loving warnings. And he sends them by his messengers. The Lord still has messengers that go forth with a, with a message of judgments. A message that is the good tidings, of course, of great joy. That while, yes, there, there is judgment to come. Yet now, today, there's still an opportunity to come to the Lord's. There's still an opportunity to find forgiveness and mercy and grace and pardon for every sin. You know, friends, it's a message that is, that is oozing with the loving kindness of God. The love of God for lost sinners that he sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to come and to die. It's the message, of course, that Paul preached, didn't he? As you go through the book of Acts and through all the, the letters, it's a message he went and preached everywhere. And I think you could summarize it with that one statement that he gives in, in 1 Timothy. You remember in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and, and verse 15, he says, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And then what does he add at the end? Of whom I am chief. This is the message that was coming to Manasseh. It's a warning. There's judgment to come, but there's also salvation, even for the chief of sinners. 
And friends, this is the message that's still being proclaimed today. It's, it's the message I'm trying to preach to you tonight. This book that you have in front of you, the Bible, it's, someone have described it as a, as a love letter from God. But how did Manasseh respond? Look with me at verse 10 again. It says, And the Lord spake to Manasseh and to his people, but they would not hearken. They wouldn't listen. Manasseh closed his ears. Manasseh refused to listen. Manasseh did not believe the message he was being told. If he did, he would have responded. It was the same, you remember, in Zechariah's day. You read in Zechariah chapter 7 and verse 11, it says that the people in his day refused to hearken. And they pulled away the shoulder. It's a wonderful farming illustration that one is pulled away the shoulder is speaking about an ox or a or a heifer that's being yoked up and it pulls away the shoulder and it stiffens every sinew and refuses to let the yoke be placed upon it Zechariah says they refused to hark and they pulled away the shoulder and they stopped their ears and they would not hear you know friends this evening there's lots and lots of people just like Manasseh and just like the people in Zechariah's day They hear the word of God, they hear the warnings of God, they hear the message of salvation, but they refuse to listen. Let me ask you tonight, are you one of them? Perhaps you've come to this church on many occasions. Perhaps you've heard the gospel preached so many times, but but still you won't listen. Let me implore you tonight, unstop your ears. Stop being like that ox that refuses to be restrained. Hearken, believe. That's what it really means, this word hearken here. It's not just a listening. My children, often I talk to them and I say, are you listening? What I mean is, have you heard me? Have you responded? Do you, do you believe what I'm saying? Do you understand what I'm saying? It's the same here. It's not just have you heard the words, do you understand them grammatically, but do you, do you believe it and follow it? When you hear the gospel, we're to believe it. Friends, tonight, unstop your ears, listen, hearken, obey, believe. You see, Manasseh refused. And you notice what happened to him in our fourth thing this evening. Not only was he privileged, not only did he sin, not only was he warned, but Manasseh was humbled. Manasseh was humbled. Do you notice what it says there in verse 11? It says that he would not hearken. Then verse 11 says, Wherefore the Lord brought upon him the captains of the host of the king of Assyria, which took Manasseh among the thorns and bound him with fetters and carried him to Babylon. You see, what God had warned would happen did happen and God had been gracious to him he had spoken to him by his parents he had spoken to him by the prophets and Manasseh had failed to listen so now God speaks to Manasseh through these punishments and these judgments we read there that he was among the thorns this may mean that he was whipped and scourged with those long middle eastern thorns or Some believe the phrase speaks of an Assyrian practice that they had for captives. They would take thorns and make them into into hooks. And they would put the hook through the lip and they would uh, lead the person along like a dog on a lead. 
We read too there that he was bound with fetters and he was carried away to Babylon and in verse 12 it says that he was in affliction. And you know, friends, sometimes this is the way God works. Sometimes you'll find that the Lord has to bring somebody to the very end of themselves. He has to, as it were, hook that person and afflict them and bind them. In the parable of the lost son that we read earlier, remember there that we see this, this young man, he's brought to an end of himself. There he is, he's staring at these pig pens and he's feeding these pigs and he, and he, and he looks and he remembers all that he once had. He's brought to the very end of himself. And perhaps it's the same for somebody here tonight. The next action that God's got for you is some chastisement. It's something to bring you to an end of yourself. Perhaps this is something that you're going through right now. Perhaps it's a sickness, a bereavement, a trial, some family difficulty. The Lord is using this to bring you to an end of yourself. In a sense, the Lord is hooking you, as it were. The Lord has all sorts of ways that he hooks us. I remember hearing the testimony of a couple when I was in North America. In some ways, it was very sad. They had lost two children at a young age. And yet in their testimony, they could say that it was those two things that the Lord had used to bring them to an end of themselves. And although it was a very sad moment in their lives, it was a moment that brought them to salvation. Now, we don't wish these things upon anybody, but the Lord does this sometimes. He uses afflictions. And the question we ask ourselves is, how should we respond? What should be the appropriate response to such afflictions? What should be the way that we should respond to these things? Well, Manasseh provides us with an example here, because you notice in, in our next point this evening in Manasseh's testimony, Manasseh prayed... Verse 12, and when he was in affliction, he besought the Lord his God. And it says that he humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers and prayed unto him. King Manasseh, there he was wallowing in this Assyrian jail in Babylon and he cries to God. He was there in that solitude of that dark prison in the pain of his affliction while he has his hands bound by, by iron fetters. It's there that this king cries out to the Lord. This was not the prayer, you know, of some sort of petulant king demanding from God, you know, bring me back to my place, my kingdom. This is not a man in some sort of bitterness crying out to God, you know, I feel hard done by my circumstances. God, you should deliver me. No, this was the prayer of repentance. This was the prayer of a, a man who, who feels his need and he acknowledges his sin. He's humbled. He says there that he humbled himself greatly. He was sincere. He was genuine. He was earnest. He now sees the vileness of his heart. He, he sees the wickedness of his actions. And so he comes and he, in a sense, he kneels before the Lord and he prays to the Lord. You know, perhaps as he was languishing in that jail, he recalled the days of his childhood. Perhaps he could remember the words of his mother and his father. Perhaps he could, while he was there, also remember the words of the prophets and the message that they had brought to him. 
Perhaps he thought of all the innocent blood that he had shed in Jerusalem and all the sins that he had committed. We don't know what it was for sure, but the Holy Spirit tells us that in his affliction he prayed. And friends, tonight, have you ever prayed? Have you ever besought the Lord? Have you ever humbled yourself and repented of your sins? Have you ever come sincerely and earnestly to God, like Manasseh did here? He came seeking forgiveness for his sins. He came looking for pardon. And of course, we can only come through Jesus Christ. That's where we receive the forgiveness of sins. Perhaps the Lord will have to bring you to a point like Manasseh, where in your affliction be made to reflect upon your past, reflect perhaps upon your godly upbringing, or reflect perhaps upon your sins. Friends, tonight, don't leave it to that point. Don't leave it like Manasseh did to the point when he was in chains. But come, come even tonight, come and repent of your sin and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who came into this world, as we just said, to save sinners. You see, it's through Christ that we can receive pardon and forgiveness, just like Manasseh did here. And you come humbly, just like Manasseh. You come repenting. You come with that sincerity and that earnestness. And say, Lord, forgive me. I've sinned. We notice here the final thing about Manasseh. Not only did he have this privileged past, and not only did he sin, not only was he warned, not only did he then come to this point of being humbled and praying, but the last thing you notice was that he was saved. Manasseh was saved. What does verse 13 tell us? It says that he prayed unto him. Did the Lord shut his ears? Did he say, no, this man has sinned too much? Verse 13 says, And he was entreated of him, and heard his supplication, and brought him again to Jerusalem, into his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord, he was God. God heard his prayer. He saw his repentance, and he graciously and wonderfully saved and delivered this king. His sins were great, yes. His wickedness was great and unparalleled, yes. But you see, where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. And friends, tonight we see here that the Lord reached out his arm in great grace and he saved and he plucked this man like a brand from the burning. And he saved wicked Manasseh. Manasseh was made a new creature in Christ. Read the verses that follow that we read earlier on about all the things that he then does, all the reforms that he makes, how he takes away all the idols and takes away all the high places. You see, the wonderful work of grace had been done in his life. Yet the wonderful truth is the same can be true of you tonight. You know, there's salvation from sin. The salvation from the judgment that is to come for all who will call upon the name of the Lord. You remember what the psalmist says in Psalm 34 and verse 18. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart. And save if such as be of a contrite spirit. That's a wonderful verse, isn't it? If you call upon the name of the Lord in a broken and a contrite state, he hears and he delivers and he saves. 
Those who repent of their sin and turn in faith to Christ, that they experience a wonderful change. Sin is pardoned, it's washed away, you become a new creature, you have a new will, a new desire. It's the most wonderful thing that could ever happen to you. You seek to serve God, you know old things have passed away, behold all things have become new. And Manasseh shows to us here that no one is beyond the reach of the grace of God. Remember what Isaiah said. Isaiah reminds of this. He says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, and his ear is not heavy that it cannot hear. You know, friends, tonight, even here in this building, you can cry to the Lord. His ear is open. His hand is ready to save. And friends, let me tell you that if the door of repentance and restitution and salvation was still open for this wicked man, Manasseh, then you can be assured that the door tonight is still open for you. Well, our title this evening was Great Grace to a Great Sinner. As I close, do you know this grace? Do you know this salvation? Oh, I trust that each one of us here tonight would know that, that great truth. Remember what the hymn writer says, the vilest offender who truly believes that moment from Jesus a pardon receives.